we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hello, and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts, Willow Truman. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And today we're traveling back to 1960s Spain to take the Umite pill. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm all for taking pills in 1960s Spain. Yeah. You're going to have to tell me what this okay. is. Okay. <laughs> the, the Umo affair is arguably one of the most important, one of the most stupid, and one of the most dangerous contributions Spain has made to UFO folklore. How much has Spain contributed to UFO folklore? Quite a bit. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, have you ever read the short story, The Time for Delusion? I have not. Okay. It was written in 1958, and the story is about this guy who's a debunker, and he's going to make a fool of every cultist once and for all. He's going to show them all that they're stupid and wrong. Okay. And he decides to publish his own hoax under a pen name, and it's this book describing several phone calls with a Venusian. Okay. And, you know, among all of the nonsense, he plants many hidden clues, proving the fallacies within it, sure. showing the contradictions, basically laying it all out that you shouldn't believe this. Right. You know, he points out the buried evidence and self-revealing inconsistencies, but nobody believed him. Once he came out and told the world, I made it all up, they said, we knew that you were ordered to recant and cover up the real <laughs> truth. <laughs> well, oh, our story no. today is a lot like the time for delusion. But to start, before we do our yeah. tarot poll, yeah, I just want to say something in the native Umite tongue. Okay. Do umo umo, do do umo. It means we come from umo, we need food urgently. How the fuck does it mean that? <laughs> but wait, there's more. Do umo, do do umo, umo do do do. Uh, okay. It means we come from Umo and have arrived on our Umo expeditionary ships. It means nothing of the sort. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And I won't have any of it. Yeah. <laughs> do Umo, Umo do do do, do 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 do. So. Tarot pull. Do, do do means food come from and expeditionary ships. Everything is do do. <laughs> Which is interesting because the Umites don't poop. Get out of here. I'm not even kidding. They don't poop. Okay. Ooh. That was a good shuffle. Oh, yeah. Umo, umo. Actually, wait. I don't want to take any pills in 1960 Spain. I know what was going on over there. <laughs> Fuck that. It's not a good time. No, it's really not. Umo, umo. It's this one. Ooh. The Knight of Pentacles. Okay. All right. We've seen this card before. We have, haven't we? But it was the King of Pentacles. We haven't seen this one before. Yeah, maybe not. We need, we really do need to someday make a of all of our tarot cards. Like, someday. The Knight of Pentacles. All right, we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Yes, the Knight of Pentacles, of course, is the airy part of Earth, which is, they are contradictory elements. Mm. You know, Earth is the uh, feminine, but solid, earthy principle. The night represents the airy aspect, air being active, masculine, information, 
and they don't they don't uh, they don't like each other. Mm. Disagree in the same way that water and fire. Uh, Interesting. Disagree. Yes. Interesting. Well, Sequoia, it's kind of unfortunate that we traveled back here to 1960 Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, um, yeah, just for historical context, everybody, there's a pretty oppressive fascist regime going on. Yeah. But at least the music is good. Is it? I'm sure we'll find a good song. I don't know. The fascists aren't necessarily known for their good music. Although, oftentimes during oppressive regimes is when good music pops off. Yeah, but like fascism is, um, how it's pretty, boot was heavy. Let's see. Dude, what's crazy is like how long the Franco regime lasted. I think it was 1976, I believe, is when uh, when the fascist regime ended in Spain. It's fucking crazy. Like, it outlasted all the other ones. I mean, comparatively, it wasn't as aggro mm-hmm. as some of the other fascist regimes, so they didn't... So let's see. I looked up list of Spanish number one hits from 1960. Okay. So we'll just plop one of those in sure. there. Yeah. This is fascist music. Jesus Christ. What in the fuck? Uh, wow. So that's where we are. Fascist music sucks. Okay. <laughs> wow, that was interesting. So. <clears throat> in 1966 bunch of people in Spain begin to receive these bizarre letters, right? And they are written by beings from the planet Umo, approximately 14.4 light years away from Earth. Oh. That's far away. It is. The Umites, or Umans, as they're sometimes called, but I'm not going to, Yeah. landed here in 1950. They lived here among us for 15 years undetected in various groups around the world until in 1965, they couldn't keep their dirty little secret any longer and began compiling a list of carefully selected VIPs to contact. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You'd think a fascist regime could root out some fucking aliens. You would think. You would. You would think. No. Can they are really good at hiding or they're really bad at being fascists. Right. So, like, this story was confusing for me to research because sure. there's a lot of different main characters that, that you could tell the story through the viewpoint of. Okay. But I've kind of hacked the extra meat off the bone mm. and narrowed it down to some key players. And yeah. amongst these very important persons that were contacted by the Umites, okay. there's one that's very, very important. Okay. His name is Fernando Sesma Manzano. Mostly, you'll see his name written as Fernando Sesma. Okay. Well, different sources give our, our guy, Fernando, different occupations. Uh, some say he's a telephone company employee or telegraph employee, but most commonly, I've seen the claim that he was an employee of the Spanish State Postal Service. Hmm. Mailman. A mailman. You love to see it. Yeah. Give it up for the Postal Service, everybody. Yeah. Woo. So, Fernando developed an interest in UFOs in the 50s. He was writing for a variety of magazines about the topic. And then in 1954, Madrid, Fernando founded the Los Amigos de los Visitantes del Espacio, or the Society of Friends of Space. Yeah. The acronym in Spanish is BURU, <laughs> which I like. Yeah. That's fun to say. BURU. Better than, like, the American UFO groups, mm-hmm. the way the acronyms sound. NICAP. MUFON. Move. I kind of like MUFON. MUFON's fun to say. It is. Yeah. 
In the beginning of the 1960s, Fernando Sesma, he would walk through the Casa de Campo in Madrid, driven by a desire to make contact with visitors from other planets or dimensions, because while he wrote about all these things, he had not yet seen for himself a flying saucer. Mm. He was drawing symbols all on the ground, sending telepathic messages to the heavens. And then lo and behold, he got what he wanted and had his first saucer sighting in July of 1961. So the trick to seeing a flying saucer is to just go a little fucking nuts. Yeah, I guess so. Start drawing symbols in the dirt. Yeah, why not? That's a good show yourself method. Okay, I'll try it. Yeah, I haven't seen one either. A year later, 1962. This is when a letter arrives, but it's not from the Umites. Okay. It's from an alien calling himself Saliano. Oh, God. You might be thinking, what is this? Some sort of space Italian? Some sort of space Italian. Saliano. Saliano. It's, uh, it's like my cousin from Johnston. Yeah, uh. no. No, he's from Auco, orbiting uh, Alpha Centauri. So, yeah. Saliano. My cousin, I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah. My cousin Saliano, he's so fucking fat. Alpha Centauri could orbit him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, Saliano's on the scene. He's telling, uh, also, by the way, Saliano's letters are crazy. It's like unintelligible, multicolored symbols, riddles, surreal poems. Like, just just a bunch of nonsense. Okay. There's also some, like, solid descriptions of, you know, the utopian Akun society. Yeah. You know? But um, this makes Fernando pretty popular. Because everybody's like, oh... Cool, you got these letters from an alien? Let's let's see them. This, this is neat. Uh, Back in the day, would getting letters from an alien won't make you popular anymore. It, it might. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, so you remember the Society of Friends of Space? Yes. Well, now they're meeting in the basement of Café Lyon, which is a popular gathering spot for intellectual elites. And on Thursdays, it's uh, Buru. Yeah. <laughs> They meet in the basement, and the basement is nicknamed uh, the Happy Whale because of this mural on the wall that is, that's a happy looking whale. All right. So, yeah, there are a bunch of kooks that get together in a basement every week to discuss UFOs, spiritualism, symbolism, esotericism, not unlike us. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like what we, yeah. Right. What we do. Yeah. So the correspondences with Saliano go on for a little bit, and then it kind of fades into into the background because Fernando gets another call. A call this time. Yeah, a phone call in January 1966. It's this guy with a strong foreign accent, and it's also kind of like fuzzy and metallic. Okay. This is an Umite named DEI-98, or DEI-98. How would you pronounce that? D-I? Day. Day. Day 98. Yeah. So Day 98 is, is calling up Fernando. And it's like, you'll soon receive items of extraterrestrial order. And wouldn't you know it, (laughs) within five to seven business days, Fernando Sesma received a strange dossier with a strange symbol rubber stamped onto it that looked awfully lot like the alchemical symbol for Uranus. Yeah. Yep, it did. I don't know what that looks like. It looks like... I thought you were going to make an anus joke. (laughs) No. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, by the way, these letters were delivered by an emissary who identified themselves like as a delivery guy for the Umites. 
And he also gave uh, Sesma this weird, like, three-dimensional photograph thing. But it's like, it's a thing that actually exists. I think, it, like, they had them in Japan, apparently. Like a... Like a... A hologram? Yeah, except, like, like in a thick sort of, like... Weird. I don't, there's no pictures to describe it, and okay. all the descriptions of it are confusing, but... Gotcha. gotcha. Three-dimensional photograph thing. Okay. Um, but then the emissary came back a few days later and was like, I'll be taking that back. But he left the dossier, and, and the dossier was full of um, all sorts of information about the Umites and their, their home planet and blah, blah, blah. And they also say, whoever the author of these Umite papers are, don't believe me. And don't tell anybody about this. Oh, boy. Yeah. Don't believe me. Don't believe a word. Well, then why are you giving it to me? Yeah, right? What are we doing? (laughs) Well, Fernando wasn't the only person to receive letters from an Umite. No, sir. Umo letters were sent to Spanish and then eventually French and a few other nations, ufologists, all throughout the late 60s and early 70s. And of course, we know that the world was going through a bit of a UFO flap during 66 and 67. Sure. Like the entire world. Yeah, yeah. So this, it's it's an opportune time for the Umites to come onto the scene and be Absolutely. like, hey, we're here too. UFO fever? Yeah. So what do we learn about the Umites? Yeah. These letters. Let's let's review some of the info. Let's let's review. Well, we remember they don't poop. So right. Just getting that out of the so way. Cross that one. Yeah, they've developed the ability to just like secrete waste through their skin, I guess, which sounds pretty... Do they smell like shit all the time? Yeah, it's pretty gross. Yeah. So Umo apparently is, it's a planet orbiting the binary star Wolf 424. Wolf 424? Yeah. It's like a fucking Call of Duty. It's a punk rock band. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Star Wolf 424. Yeah, Star Wolf. Yep. Star Fox, you know? Here you go. There's absolutely a motherfucker on any given video game with the username Star Wolf 424. It yeah, he's out there. Because Star Wolf 420 was taken. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's out there and he's gaming. Yep. He's killing it. So the Umites became interested in Earth because there was a Morse code signal being sent out from a Norwegian ship that was experimenting okay. with high frequency communication in the 1930s. Okay. They were yeah. <laughs> 1930s Norwegian ship. Um, Said Morse code, which right. they interpreted, where I assume they were able to. I guess. Okay. And then for 20 years, they were like, should we go? Should we go down to Earth? I mean, we got the signal. I don't know. Do you want to go? So 20 years to decide if they should head over there? Yeah. So finally, in 1950, 20 years later, they arrive in the south of France on, on a little hill. Why didn't they go to Norway? Yeah, I don't... I mean, obviously, they wouldn't know that it was from Norway. Like, it'd just be from Earth. Right. It it doesn't make sense. We learn that they have their own uh, prophet that's basically Space Jesus. Of course. And um, we could talk about him right now. Okay. We could talk about the Space Jesus. Yeah, I'd like to learn about Space Jesus. Okay. So, and some of the information I got, by the way, for this episode comes from an article by Scott Corrales... And Miguel Romero, Red Pill Junkie, you might know him as. Yes. He he put out some information, some really great information on the Umites. All right. What are the titles of the articles? Speak Louder, asked the aliens from Planet Umo. That's uh, Miguel Romero's article. Okay. And the one by Scott Corrales is The Umo Experience. Are you experienced? All right. Yes. Yes. So this is coming from the Scott Corrales article, some information about the... Um, space Jesus. The space Jesus, Yeah. yeah. 
So Umo had apparently undergone a uh, bloody turmoil where they were very exploited by brutal tyrants. <laughs> not unlike Spain. Not Yeah, very much not. <laughs> Such as Na 456, who was the daughter of Na 312. <laughs> well, Na 456 was a child renowned from birth for her intelligence. She espoused the belief that scientific development was of utmost importance. Mm. And she ended up replacing the entire concept of God with herself. Ah. With her, like, acting as the brain of God. Yeah, yeah. She's, like, she's basically, she's a dictator. She is a dictator. Yeah. And she declares that anyone who's unwilling to make the sacrifice for science will be destroyed. You must turn to the religion of science. Wow. Sounds ripped from the headlines at the time. Indeed. Yeah. So Umo then underwent a reign of terror until eventually Na 456 died under mysterious circumstances and was succeeded by her daughter, Wee One. <laughs> a vain matriarch. Oh, that little Wee One. Yeah. Such a vain matriarch who put four million Umites to death. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Wee One. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. Got, we got some humans got you beat, though. So eventually, because of everything that Na 456 had done, the whole like scientific dictatorship, yeah. there was a backlash against science. Which culminated in basically the destruction of everything. Ah. Uh, the libraries, the power plants, just fucking tear it all down. <laughs> Fuck it. Uh, they, now they're more interested in philosophy and telepathy. Fuck, <laughs> fuck science. <laughs> you know? Thankfully, we would see the rise of Umawoa during this time. Umawoa? The redeemer of Umo. Umawoa? The redeemer? Umawoa spread the belief in the one true God. It's true. Did he rebuild the libraries? Well, he walked around to all the scientists and technicians and all of the technical workers and, and taught them the true teachings, which were compiled in the form of a thousand tau, which is the Umo <laughs> word for paragraphs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Umawoa's teachings were distributed around the planet in recorded form. And of course, the authorities didn't like this. So they found him and tormented him to death. But wait, he didn't die. He disappeared before their eyes. He's space Jesus. And then he came to Earth and was Jesus. No, wait, that uh-uh. doesn't say that, but okay. it might be, It you could say that. No, because they came to Earth 20, wait a minute, maybe. I'm yeah. just going to say maybe. Yeah, who, who knows what Umawoa did? Yeah. You know? Or when. When was or it? Or when. Or when Umawoa did. Yeah. Right. So yeah, now you know about Umawoa. Mawawa. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the Umites are here. Here's here's some more uh, yeah. information about them. They're nocturnal. Okay. Their hands and fingers are too sensitive to use. Everything is painful to touch. Mm. Like, how do you do anything? I don't. I don't know. Right. Uh, they can't touch anything. Yeah. How so- do they fly their spaceships? telepathy i guess i don't know like also to send out these letters to people that they're sending out like how do you right. type them yeah, yeah yeah how the fuck do you type them so at first they just found this guy who was got a guy. professional typist they just yeah, walked into yeah, yeah. his office two umites who looked like just scandinavian dudes okay. were like we need you for a top secret science-y project yeah and this typist was like sure i'll quit my job and do that i guess and uh, they must have paid handsomely uh, yeah and then, you know, over the, the course of their professional relationship, the Scandinavians revealed to the typist that they were actually, you know, 
aliens. Right, right. You know, blah, blah. I mean, if, you, if you're a professional typist, like, you're looking for excitement. Have I, that, this would be a cool job. Yeah. Just hired to write these crazy letters. Like, if a couple of Scandinavians said, come with us, we need you to type shit. I'd be like, all right. Yeah. Sure. One day. I'll see what, I'll see what, I'll see what you're selling. Yeah. But, like, if the thing that you were typing was letters to ufologists i'd stick around for some more days yeah Yeah, totally yeah Yeah. but eventually the umites in australia there's a group in australia they managed to modify a regular typewriter to be able to like command it through voice Mm. although like here's the thing about most umites most umites can't even talk wait a minute yeah, they lose their ability to talk once they mature, like past puberty. Except the ones that were chosen to come to Earth who can talk, apparently. Like, don't don't. This is all very stupid. It's so stupid. Yep. Okay. And and they say don't believe us. Right. Of course. Yeah. Also, being an Umite would kind of like at age thirteen, they're basically sent off to this weird boarding school thing, and they're not allowed to talk to their parents until they're of age. And I'm like, that doesn't sound fun. No. That sounds. Also, their parents can't talk. Yeah. How does society Telep- exist? They- telepathy? telepathy? Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. 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 When the Umites got here, by the way, they expected earthlings to crawl out of the ground. What because, the fuck? Like, they've, they've been to a lot of planets before, by the yeah. way. Like, they, they've hopped around and explored and studied different uh, extraterrestrial groups. And apparently a lot of them live in underground burrows. Like, there's a lot of mole people in the universe. Yeah. We're not them. No. Who the fuck do you think we are? Yeah. We got buildings. We got cities. We got fucking, we got, we got typewriters that we can just clickety clack 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 on without hurting our precious little fingers. Yeah. Pieces of shit. Yeah. Fuck you think we are. There are some interesting like sketches and pictures that a lot of pictures in these letters, including one of what breakfast looks like. on. Mm. Oh God. And I shit, it looks like a bunch of, melted chess pieces (laughs) and i had a dream last night that an umite came to me and told me because that is what they are (laughs) (laughs) that's what they are that looks delicious that looks like melted chess pieces. that's exactly what it looks like yeah jeez i don't know what the fuck is going on on umo but they look like us They, (laughs) they look a lot like us okay well although the beings proclaimed do not believe us Something would happen a month after Sesma is contacted for, you know, the first time yeah, in January. In yeah. uh, February 1966, that makes people start to take the Umites more seriously. Uh-oh. But more on that. Oh, wait, no. No, more on that right now? More on that right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, UFO sightings related to UMO began on February 6, 1966, an event that Fernando Sesma claimed to have been told about via letter four days in advance. Mm. Apparently, several people had seen a saucer near Aluche, Spain, and one man, José Luis Jordan Peña, drew a sketch and reported it to the newspapers. The newspaper Informaciones publishes the news of the sighting in Aluche, accompanied by Peña's sketch and a couple of photographs, and he's basically the main witness, along with this other guy, Vicente Ortuño, who had apparently seen uh, the craft from outside of his apartment window. Pena claimed that he saw it while driving his car. Okay. And, of course, these two men didn't know each other. Or so they said. Right. They did not know each other at all. 
But um, the thing that was interesting about this sighting and why it relates to Umo is because the saucer and the sketch was distinguished by a peculiar symbol that looked an awful lot like the alchemical symbol for Uranus. Interesting. What, isn't that curious? Yeah. But Hordan Pena, the person who saw this, yeah. he's a scientifically minded man. Right. He's a science teacher at a high school. Yeah. That's what he does. Right. Rational. Yeah. Hordan Pena maintained that whatever he had seen was probably some sort of experimental aircraft developed by the Americans and deployed in Spain thanks to collaboration of Franco's regime. Mm. So he's a skeptic. He's, he's very skeptical. And despite that, he joins Fernando Sesma's group, the Society of Friends of Space. And he doesn't reveal to them that he is the witness of the Aluche sighting. He doesn't make himself known. I got a hunch this, this guy is a heck of a trickster. Yeah, like that's a weird thing to do is join the group yeah. and not reveal like, oh yeah, that was me. Yeah. Isn't that interesting that you're receiving all those Umite letters? And, yeah. I guess, but you know... If if he it would make sense for him to join the group after having a UFO sighting, absolutely. If he, if he truly did, <laughs> if that is the story, then of course he he might join a group like that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can but see you know not revealing it. You don't want yeah. people coming bothering you at your house. Right. Meanwhile, documents from the Umites continue to flow in, but Sesma's getting bored with them because. Mm. These aren't like Saliano's writings, you know, with okay. surreal poems and flowery writings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are all very rational. It's like mathematical graphs and stuff that's just above his head. He's getting bored with it. It's not fun. It's not. It's yeah. Not. It's not what he was after. He was drawing symbols in the dirt, right. trying to telepathically talk to the space people. Right. I can dig it. I understand. It's too much like the mail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they, they got to keep him reeled in, you know? They got to keep Sesma on the line. So it's it's 67, right? Yeah. And he's received news that a spacecraft is going to appear near the city between May 30th and June 3rd. And they're not to alert the press. So what do they do instead? They get 30 witnesses from the group to sign the letter, amongst which yeah. is Hordan Pena. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, now they know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, to me, it's interesting that the Umites couldn't give them a more precise date and time and location. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because um, nobody was there to see it. Apparently it happened oh. because an unknown photographer was there. So there's an unknown photographer. So they li- well, the- they give this very broad yeah. date and place and time mm-hmm. region. And then it seems they just, it happens at a time when the group isn't there to see it. Yeah. Nobody's there. But but there's an some, unknown someone was there to take pictures. Sure. Gotcha. Uh, nobody in the happy whale group got to see that. Womp womp. Womp um, womp. Yeah. So these pictures that were taken end up back in the newspaper, the same one that published the first article sure. on the February 6th sighting. And of course, one of these pictures, guess what? Yeah. Showed the same symbol. Holy the same shit. exact symbol. It's another, another Umo sighting. My goodness. Unbelievable. These are everywhere. They're contacting everybody. Yeah. And naturally, after this whole thing, Pena is the one chosen by the group to go off and investigate the matter because he's the skeptic of the group. <laughs> and they want to like really, you know, help convince him that this is real. So they're like, why don't you be the one to go out? And um, Okay. Yeah. Or maybe he was like, listen, I'm the only skeptic one of the group. You should, yeah. yeah. Right. So he goes out. And he happens to find a bunch of flyers around the town. 
Okay. Wouldn't you know it? And these flyers are signed with the name Henry Dagusset. Is it Henri? Henri. 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 Yeah, I wanted to say it like that, but I didn't. Henri. Now I can. Dagusset. Yeah. Is it Dagusset? Dagus- yeah. Henri, Henri Dag- Dagusset. Yeah, these flyers are signed with that name. And these flyers also suggest that the UFO that had been seen had left behind some small cylinders around town, mm. asking that anyone who find one to please make contact with the general post office and there would be a reward for you. Yeah. I don't know a lot about fascist Spain. I know that it wasn't, uh, as, as far as the European fascist regimes go, it was less severe than most. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, not the whole time. There was a whole fucking civil war and shit. But it's, you know, probably the reason... The reason why it was allowed to keep existing after World War II. Yeah. Because it played ball a little bit more with the democracies around it or whatever. Right. I still have a hard time believing that they wouldn't get their panties in a bunch over this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. So one of those cylinders from the flyer that had been dropped by the by the Umite UFO yeah, yeah. was uh, sent anonymously, of course, to UFO author Marius Leggett. And inside of the object was foaming green liquid and a piece of plastic with, of course, the mysterious symbol on it. Mm. And Mr. Leggett was like, fuck this, I don't want to deal with this, and passes it off to his friend Antonio Ribera, who's one of the most prestigious Spanish ufologists, like, ever. And mm. um, at it's that a good point, name. Yeah, Antonio Ribera. It's fucking great. Ribera teams up with Rafael Ferrioles and, you know... Over the years, they kind of, both of them become the leading specialists in UMO. They write like oh, no. four books on it. Oh, God. Ribera writes four books on it. They fo- they like found some companies with UMO trade names and, you know, yeah. yeah. They're very into the whole UMO thing. Okay. In 1969, Ribera- Merchandising, merchandising. Yeah, <laughs> they, they publish a book with their conclusions on the UMO case and they call it the perfect case. It's not. A perfect case. It's not a perfect case. Yeah. What's interesting is that their book makes no mention of the letters sent to Fernando Sesma. Interesting. Like, that's not included. Huh. And that was, like, the first one, right? Yeah. One of the first. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah. It's, the, like, the the whole letter thing. But they also have an analysis of the, the device, the capsule, right? Yeah. Well, the capsule is made of nickel, of a very high purity. Okay. And the plastic material was polyvinyl fluoride. Okay. And at the time of the events, this material was made exclusively by DuPont. DuPont, you say? Yeah. DuPont. Yeah, made by DuPont in the USA. DuPont. Yes, under the brand name Tedlar. Do you, when, do you remember the last time we heard the name DuPont? When? The nine. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where he's gotten the material from. But, so that's interesting. And And even, by the way, even though it's a perfect case, when... Antonio Ribera sends this to another UFO researcher, Oscar uh, Ray Brea. Ray Brea is like, yeah, these um, these photos are fake. These are obvious. <laughs> but, you know, it's the perfect case. So if we haven't figured it out by now, obviously Pena is full of shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So this is I just want to talk about this. Like, so I want to lay out this comparison that Miguel Romero made for you. Pena is Richard Doty. Yeah. Antonio Rivera is Bill Moore. And yeah. Ferrioles is Paul Benowitz. Yeah. Well, I don't know about the Ferrioles, Paul Benowitz, but Just like because, the first like, two, he was, fuck yeah. He was a technical person that they roped in and he ended up believing all of it and espousing the truth of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't go fucking crazy, but he definitely right. like ate it all up and helped um, to spread the hoax. 
So, it, yeah, it was either fucking, I think it was, I might be wrong about this, but it might have been Ruth Young who was, uh, who was connected to the DuPonts. Uh, and like you said um, that the, it was the, the company was DuPont de Nemours. Yeah. That's, I just searched Tedlar. That's just polyvinyl fluoride made by DuPont Chemical. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. So that's a thing. So that's a thing. That's I'm just going right. to say that's a thing. That's a thing that makes this, that pushes this into question mark. You know, this is right at the same time as all bunch of other shit we've been talking about. Yeah. Just, of course, I'm back here. I can't escape. Cousin Saliano was going to kick my ass because I told him I'd <laughs> stay away from this stuff. So in 1970, this is when Fernando and Pena go their different ways. Like okay. he's abandoning the happy whale group Pena is, and he's going to start his own group, Eridani, which is the origin of what would later become the Spanish society of parapsychology founded by Pena, who touts himself a skeptic. So right. it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, of course the Umites followed Pena's group, you know? Yeah. Sort of like they involved themselves very much in the group's activities. But of course, Pena himself never received the letters. It was always other members of the groups that received them. Yeah. And <laughs> the correspondence within the group be like became very full of paranoia. Okay. You know, he would advise people and the beings would advise them about the malevolent intervention of secret services like the CIA, tapped calls, infiltrators, be careful, blah, blah, blah. Very interesting. Yes, very interesting. Like, basically, these letters were uh, doing very weird things. Yeah. And offering very interesting messages. And then all of this culminated in uh, November 1973, when the Umites predicted a nuclear war because of the situation in the Middle East and announced that um, uh, they were going to fuck off. Dude. And that they were going to provide nuclear refuge for the believers. Motherfucker. This is... Right around the same time that fucking Spectra was telling Uri Geller that there was going to be a nuclear war yep. in the Middle East. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck? Yeah. Okay. Same shit. Wow. Okay. Same shit. Right. So, like, this continues on, the whole Umite thing. It's yeah. unraveled for quite some time. By 1983, some odd, like, 6,700 people contacted by the Umites were- What? A lot of people are constantly What the hell? This is big. They're big. <laughs> and then, like, the symbol is used by uh, the Idlewise cult. I've never heard of them. I hadn't either, but it was founded by this absolute sicko, Eduardo Gonzalez Arenas, who, um, yeah, it was all about, like, having sex with little boys on a distant planet. A what planet that's a paradise for only men called Del Heis. Uh. Members of the sect would be transferred once they were, you know, suitable and, and holy enough to go there. What? And they would go there to save themselves from the end of the world. And, like, kids in the cult were marked with, like, the Umo symbol on their arm. The it was the logo of the cult. Arenas uh, did go to jail, but only for six years. But thankfully, he was murdered shortly after <laughs> his release. Yeah, fine with it. Yeah. So, um, like, this, that's a weird, evil place for the symbol to, to be used. Very. Yeah. And uh, it makes sense, because as the story will unravel, we'll, we'll learn that Pena is, is kind of a huge piece of shit. Interesting. And Doesn't we, surprise me. We should honestly. be, like, confused about what's going on here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, in, in the 90s, there's this group of researchers... El Ojo Critico. The Critical Eye. The Critical Eye, yeah. And they're awesome. They, they're like three of maybe 10 words in Spanish I know. Yeah. Just nice that they're together. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> they start to investigate the Umo matter in depth. And, uh, you know, in 19, 
Uh, I won't even include that. Um, so this journalist, Manuel Carballal, gets in touch with Pena, and Pena admits to concocting the letters with some co-conspirators, mailing them during international travel, oh. and that he had designed them all to demonstrate the cult-like credulity and paranoia in the ufological community. And it's an immoral experiment. I know I shouldn't have done it, and it, it was all just a hoax. But there's still some question marks there. Yeah, because um, this motherfucker didn't just, it didn't get away from him like that short story. Yeah. He drove it onwards. Right. It seems like there's quite a few times when it should have fallen apart. Yeah. But he kept it together and kept it going. He also makes some other claims and then doesn't fully explain them about being funded and goaded on by foreign intelligence agencies. Oh, interesting. Like he says that um, when they did the whole the burnt site of the flying saucer and took pictures of it, that uh, they... They brought a beach bucket and burned the ground with a blowtorch, but also he had some radioactive sand that was provided by the CIA that he spread around the site. You can just get radioactive sand from the CIA? That's what he claims. I don't think you can just get radioactive sand from the CIA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, uh, Pena said that um, after the incident, him and his wife got a visit from a man in uniform claiming to be an officer from the Spanish Air Force who wanted to interrogate him about the whole UFO sighting because he did make himself known as a witness. Okay. So the officer tells Pena, the Spanish Air Force officer, is like, hey, I saw the object. And Hordon is like, what? Like, because yeah. he's knows that he faked it. Right. And apparently there's also uh, some other soldiers that claim to have seen the object that day. Like Even though Pena people, knows it's not. People stepping, yeah, they're saying like, oh yeah, we saw it. Yeah. But So he's like, how did this military officer see something that I made up? And the officer tells Hordon, don't talk about this any further. It could be the work of the Americans. Which is interesting. I like to think that like that fucking Spectra hallucination UFO showed up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then Hordon says later when he tried to call this officer. Yeah. He found out that the name and number were like not real. <laughs> that he had been provided. Yeah. 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 Also, you know, those anonymous photo, the unknown photographs. Yeah. 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 Hordon, of course, um, took credit for that. He said, yeah, that was me. But the samples, the the samples in the, the cylinder, right. he said, those were fabricated by the institution. Motherfucker. It's what he called it. Okay. Yeah. And also, interestingly, uh, for this event, there's also other witnesses that claim that they saw a strange object with an orange glow that evening that, like, not, you know. Yeah. And... Of all of this, Hordon just says, well, they're all liars, all the people that say that they witnessed something. <laughs> but, like, we also have to talk about the fact that Pena himself went and collected a lot of the witness reports. All right. He is one of the people that helped investigate this case and yeah. collected evidence for it. So how did he collect a bunch of reports of an event that didn't happen? By the way, you I just faked all the reports. I haven't mentioned this yet. But he is a hypnotist. God damn it. Yeah. 
where Don had put himself in touch with a couple of American anthropologists for this idea that he had, where he, you know, he wanted to prove that people could be, you know, misled and believe stupid stuff. Because aren't they so dumb when yeah. in fact we're just going to warp their reality around them? Right. So he contacts some anthropologists and they basically say, um, don't do that. It's really unethical. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's especially unethical because Pena, like he's not a psychologist. He's a high school teacher. Yeah. Like, so it's amazing that he managed to like do all of this. But he says that he did eventually get in contact with an unnamed anthropologist who was like, hey, uh, your proposal was sent to the CIA <laughs> and they've conducted a study of you and um, we want to support your project. Do we know if and, and I have a question? Yeah. Did Pena speak English? I don't know. Because I'm just an interesting thing, a curious thing. If he didn't, or if he even just preferred to communicate in his mm -hmm. native language, he would have reached out to anthropologists who spoke Spanish. Right. The most famous anthropologist at the time, I'd say probably the most famous anthropologist at the time, mm -hmm. happened to be a native Spanish speaker who went by the fake name Carlos Castaneda. Yeah. Who was directly connected to Andrea Pugarch. Yep. The Nine, the DuPonts. Yeah. Shit. One degree away, in fact, from being able to get shit from DuPont Chemical, probably for free. Right. Happened to be the most famous anthropologist and a native Spanish speaker, I wonder. <laughs> and who also who psyopted a bunch of fucking people, too. Carlos mm -hmm. Castaneda. Yep. Uh, those are just simply allegations and wild and baseless speculation. Yeah. That is my specialty, though. Right. Okay. Yeah, um, this this might also be of interest. Pena in the 50s worked for an intelligence service run by the Jesuit order, um, uh, Fe Catolica. Fe Catolica? Yeah. Okay. He's a fucking Jesuit? I mean... He worked for... A, he a, worked for them. I mean, the Jesuits are the... They're the spooks of the Catholics. They're the Vatican spooks. Yeah. We're going to cover them one day. That's fucking ridiculous. It is. He's a, he's a spook. It's, it looks more and more like that, doesn't it? It's Jesus spook. It really does. It looks like that. Okay. <laughs> let me, let me present a baselessly speculative series of events. Pena wants to do a little hoax him up, right? Have a little fun. Mm-hmm. Do a little dance, make a little love. Get down with Umo tonight, you know? Yeah. That's when he starts contacting the anthropologists. I really want to know if he spoke English or not. So let's just say, baseless speculation, let's say he contacts an anthropologist who's maybe being an intelligence agent, Pena knows, hey, this guy is doing the old hoax -em up Yeah. This Mr. Castaneda fellow who happens to speak Spanish and is also a fucking spook. Through that, Castaneda goes, hey, uh, hey, my good friend, Andrea Pujarich, you might want to talk to this feller in Spain. Yep. That's a possible... Baselessly speculative. I have no evidence at all that he they talked to Cast. I'm just unnamed anthropologist. At the yeah. Time. Makes me think. DuPont chemical makes me think Jesuit spooks. It makes me, it makes me have thoughts. Well, you understand. Mm -hmm. God damn it. <laughs> there was, okay. There was a guy who interviewed Pena a bunch of times. 
uh, for a book, The Man Who Whispered to the Umites. <laughs> okay. Who, he says, basically, that Pena is the biggest liar and most pathological liar that he's ever known. Okay. He kept changing his story. Excellent. Again and again and again. Fantastic. Like, he said that first Pena told this author that he met with the CIA in late 1965, but then later he changed it to 1966. Okay, okay, okay. But, like, that doesn't mean that we should dismiss that theory entirely. No, because there was intelligence involved. 6,700 people contacted. It's a fun part part of the myth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we can't discount that. But, like... Obviously, we know he's a pathological liar. Like, For sure. That's not new information right. either. Like, that's the, kind of the whole bit. I mean, the, right. The thing that, like, makes me think that there were other parties definitely involved is that this happened. 6,700 people got email letters. Yeah. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And the Franco government never took them out. That's true. Right? That's true. It's not like there's an unknown quantity. Mm-hmm. Right? This, like we said, it's a big deal. Yeah. I don't know much about how strict... Franco government was with that sort of shit at all. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they cared. Yeah. It just seems curious that there's not a lot of that the Spanish government doesn't seem to play any role in this whatsoever. Yeah. Except for some mysterious Air Force dude. Right. You know, like that's that's it. Okay. Fine. Weird. Weird. Weird as hell. Like the thing about the whole Umo thing, the thing about the thing. It's, it went on for so long with long nobody time. coming forward because there's multiple witness reports, people making the phone calls that are not Pena. Right. You know, all over the world sending yeah, letters, I, which requires the use of international postal services. So a lot of people had to have been in on this and not like let it slide, let, let it slip. Right. Because this wasn't just something that happened to one group of ufologists that met in the basement of a cafe. Yeah. Like, there was a lot of letters being sent to people. There was a lot of phone calls. And to, to the big names in the communities, too. Yeah. The UFO community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, who's making these calls? Well, there's one woman, Trinidad Pastrana, who revealed herself as having played the role of Marisol, who was one of the mediators between aliens from Umo and humans. She's one yeah. of the people that would, you know. Okay. And she had made lots of phone calls, or she used... Uh, like her friends and relatives who were taking trips abroad, she'd be like, hey, can you go deposit this letter while you're there? You know? Well, of course, Pastrana admitted that all of these phone calls that she had made were dictated to her by Pena. Right. Okay. Yeah. Who she had met during a radio program on paranormal phenomena. So they meet on this radio program. They're obviously interested in the same things. And um, she agrees to have him hypnotize her. Which Mm. she reveals led to being sexually abused. Oh, what the fuck? And she's not the only one. Oh, great. Okay. There's another woman, Mercedes Carrasco, who is another messenger for UMO, who met Pena in a a meeting at the Center for Paranormal Studies and agreed to undergo hypnosis, first in the presence of witnesses, but later alone. And she started receiving letters from uh, an Indian guru. God damn it. In another lifetime, Hordan had been an abusive military man who was guilty of committing excesses. That's what... Okay. <laughs> and um, apparently Mercedes had been a domineering woman who kept this man enslaved. 
So in order to balance their karmic debt in this lifetime, Mercedes would have to enter into a sadomasochistic relationship with Pena. What the fuck? So he is utilizing control tactics and hypnosis. Mm. Very unethical, very bizarre. And fake and Indian gurus. Y- yes. <laughs> yeah, he's pulling out all, he's the, all the stops. All the yeah. stops. Uh, but then he's also sort of covering his tracks by implying that you know, this was also, this is CIA. Fi- and why couldn't sure. it, it? It could be. Oh, absolutely. Fucking Luli, it can be both. It could be. Yeah. That's so, how the CIA works. Right. Let's talk about, so just like with all of that in mind, I want to sidestep to talk about something that relates, but also doesn't relate, but we'll see why it relates. Okay. We're going to talk about two guys who take a train to Jupiter. <laughs> so there's this guy. And we're just, we're taking a break from everything else. So new names. Okay. Like the slate is wiped clean. Jose Felix Rodriguez Montero. Mm. A lot of people with four names. Montero is born in Agua Dulce, 1925. And he came from a Catholic tradition, studied seminary and uh, finished his studies brilliantly in 1952. Okay. This guy, he converted to the evangelical church. He was very into his faith, met his wife through his faith. But then Montero's life. To church. Yeah, right. <laughs> Montero's life would be disturbed by the paranormal. Hmm. He comes in contact with the Umo group in Madrid. Okay. And all of a sudden, he turns away from his faith and he develops this new mystical philosophy of extraterrestrial contact that years later would lead to his death. And that's oh, what we're talking about him. Okay. And um, he, he would channel this being. El Venusino, the the Venusian. Venusian. Yeah. And he came up with this idea of an extraterrestrial envoy. Yeah, I guess that's El Venusino. He's the messenger. Yeah. Montero also decided that he's now capable of astral travel to Jupiter, and he wants to take as many people with him as he can. Ah. Get his friends to accompany him to Jupiter. Yeah. And he starts holding seances and he got himself a new fancy spiritualist wife to do this all with him. So his life has done like a 180. I I should start a UFO call. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, why not? So in 1972, the the spiritual extraterrestrial Montero, he meets this guy, Juan Turu Valles, through an advertisement in a science magazine. Okay. And uh, Juan Suru, he's just like this regular guy. He's 21 years old. He's 30 years younger than Montero. Okay. He uh, works at this fabric company, but he's also a spare time ufological researcher. He's very into UFOs. 15 days after meeting each other, Montero and Juan Turu, they are both dead on the, the tracks of the Terrassa Barcelona railway line. <laughs> okay. And they have a message on themselves. The aliens are calling us. We belong to infinity. WKTS 88. What? Yep. And this news shakes the Spanish UFO community. Yeah. Because researchers everywhere, they kind of feel responsible to some extent for the fate of these two characters. Like two days after the event, journalist Marius Leggett, who we talked about, he received the cylinder and was like, I'm good. (laughs) And of course, this is like, Mm, not a whole 10 years later, but it's in the next decade. He receives uh, these posthumous letters from the two men. Oh, wow. Who had killed themselves. One is for him. It's for Leggett. 
and it justifies the decision of the men to free themselves from their earthly existence and travel to another planet. It's basically saying, we're happy we did it. Sure. And another, the other letter is saying, we need you to tell the UN what we did <coughs> and warn that the planet is headed for catastrophe. And this whole shit, like, Leggett just goes into this deep depressive spiral. He ends up in the psych hospital for a year. Holy shit. And he just abandons ufology after that. Yeah, I mean, that's a good move. Yeah. So far, he's made a few good moves, this guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's people speculating on various hypotheses about the deaths, among which, you know, murder stands out. I was going to say. It's, it's, it always is there. Yeah. But it only ever remains speculation until 18 years later when that group of Spanish researchers, El Ojo Critico, yeah. decide to crack open the case and see what they could find. So Pena's group, El Ojo. The, one, the ones who helped expose Pena. Oh, the ones who helped expose Pena. Yes. yes. Okay. Pena's group is Eridani. Right. Yeah. Right. So these researchers, this is in the 90s now. This is around like the same time that they... Uncovered. Yeah. Pena. So El Ojo Critico, they're they're sick. They've got their their finger on yeah. the pulse. Yeah, they're like, fucking we, sick. We want the real story. They find some suspicious things in the case. In interesting. For example, about thirty meters from the scene of the incident is this this old house of this guy, Mister Fernandez, who's a former switchman who worked. Okay. And he saw the event. Him and his wife tell El Ojo Critico, no one ever came here to ask us anything. The police didn't ask us any, like, no witnesses were ever meaningfully questioned. Their house is, like, right there. Yeah. Okay. And it's not for a lack of willingness to talk either. Right. And the chief of the municipal police of Terrassa is even like, yeah, I gotta say, the investigation was brief. We kind of just chalked it up to these guys being a couple of UFO nuts, case Jesus closed. Jesus Christ. Another interesting thing is that when the investigators ask for the official sketch of the position of the bodies, they find that the the official sketch is very different from the ones in newspapers and from press releases of the time. How so? They don't describe it entirely, but like, okay. oh, it's okay. What's interesting about the position of the bodies, actually, yeah. is that they're not right next to each other. Juan Turu is actually, he's been like thrown into a ditch. Oh, well. Because... It's thought that at the last minute, he thought, fuck this, I'm going to try to get out and tried to run away, yeah. but didn't do it in time and was knocked into the ditch. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. Okay. Um, the investigators also saw access to a summary of the case, which took them three attempts to do. You know, in the summary, it says that in the possession of each one of the corpses was a note written on graph paper saying the aliens are calling us. They also contained uh, drawings of a flying saucer, narration of an experience on Jupiter, and a poem. Hmm. And the autopsy report was interesting, too. The autopsy revealed death by decapitation, which I guess could be plausible. Yeah, that's absolutely on your, plausible. You know, yeah. I, it is plausible. Like, you could say death by like, train, but if you want to, if, you, if you're really being technical yeah, no. about it, yeah. it's the, the head coming off that really did it. Um <laughs> there was two pieces of information that were of note. There was cotton in their hands that was not analyzed. Mm -hmm. And it was speculated in the newspapers that they had used the cotton to plug their ears, maybe. Okay, yeah. But what I think is that 
maybe it had like ether on it or some sort of like chemical to help oh. yourself to sleep before it happened so that that could be something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But the cotton was not analyzed. Also, Montero, it, it was revealed that he had been like fasting, like doing probably preparing his body in some sure, yeah, yeah. way for before the thing. But Juan Churu had food in his stomach, so he was not he didn't do whatever ritual cleansing sure. um, Montero did. So that that's just a, a piece of information. They, it, I mean, it shows that they weren't on the same. They weren't on the same yeah, page. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's weird. They just met 15 days prior. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And like Juan Turo was going around telling people like, I've seen this guy levitate. I've seen him do crazy things. So I don't know what the deal with if there's like drugs involved in that Could or be. just like pure detachment from reality. Or maybe he was levitating. <laughs> I was like, I mean, cotton's not going to plug your ears. No, it's yeah. not going to. No, 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 that's not going to do shit. No. You use some of that DuPont Tedlar. Yeah. Stuff up in there. Um, well, Leggett wasn't the only person that they sent out posthumous letters to. Okay. There is another guy, Martin Jose LeBay, who, um, you know, the investigators tried to go talk to him. And of course, this is this is long after the fact. Sure. But they wanted to track down one of the guys who had received a letter and be like, what's in it? What, what's anything up? about it? Yeah. But unfortunately, right before they could talk to him, LeBay threw himself off a seven story balcony on Three Kings Day, 1988. Really? Yeah. Suicide by balcony. Yeah. The suicide by seven story balcony, you say? Yeah. You know, a lot of people choose that method. Uh huh. Wow, you know, it seems that's a real common, common method of suicide amongst specifically people who know things. Right. Yeah. There was also that's why another... I stay on the fucking ground floor. Yeah. <laughs> stay in the basement. Yeah. Another letter recipient was Amadeo Romanos, who was a chair for CEPIC, the Spanish Society for the Investigation of the Cosmos. Yeah. Okay. And he denied any link between CEPIC and the two men. But Juan Tuber was a part of the association. Oh, so there was just a link. Yeah. In that he was part of. Right. Okay. Weird shit. Yeah. Like, so we don't have all of the answers behind this. It's it's very plausible that these men just did, they did it to themselves. Yeah. But that doesn't make it any less mysterious or Def- horrific. Definitely not. And confusing. Definitely fucking not. And it's, it's pretty, there's only a few articles about this, but there seems to be an agreement that it's quite plausible that Montero induced Juan Turu to join him in this. Sure. And was, you know, that Juan Turu would still be alive if it was not for the influence of this guy. Oh, I guarantee you Juan Turu would be alive if he had not met yeah. this dude. Whatever, whoever did what, you know. Also, interestingly, towards the, the end of his life, Montero, even though they were going to Jupiter, he had become a clandestine convert to Protestantism again. Okay. Like what? Yeah. That's strange. So like there's that whole thing and like the link with like, you know, all because Montero is exposed to to Umo. Yeah. I mean, not all because of it, but it certainly plays a large role. And the whole Umo shit just reeks of weirdness and confusion. It reeks. It stinks. Yeah. So there's a variety of, of different theories and thoughts from different people, uh, there's this one book, Borderlands, The Ultimate Exploration of the Unknown by Mike Dash, who 
puts forward the idea, well, hey, maybe the UMO material was a way for opponents of the Francoist regime to just express themselves. Because we know, you know, Pena was a big critic of the Franco regime. And, was you know, he? He was. And maybe this was a way to say all the things that you weren't allowed to say openly. Mm. This through this material. Mm. And spread that, like, utopian message. But, I but really also, buy it. I don't buy like, that. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it it could be part part of like the Umo doctrine definitely has political flavors to it. Well, it always does. It always does. Yeah. So like that, it's just undeniable that this person's whoever is behind it. I mean, their political I've, beliefs are going to shine through. I would get if I if it was political, I would guess that it was part of. I mean, one one of CI's favorite games. Yeah. Which is overthrowing governments. Right. Right? Like, I mean, it obviously didn't work, right? But, like, that's that's their game, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, maybe it was an anti-Franco thing, but... But morphed into, a, you know, the the Americans might have... Yeah, it might have been... I don't know. Puppet mastered by fucking CIA. Yeah. Or started off, like... Could have started off as a goof-em-up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in uh, Jacques Vallée, he does some analysis of the UMO documents in his book, Revelations, Alien Contact and Human Deception. Mm. And he thinks that the originator of this this idea of the UMO communications, he says, oh, I think this might have been inspired by the Jorge Luis Borges story, uh, Tilon Ukbar Orbis Tertius. OK. Which is only 12 pages long, but feels like it's forever. And it's a very confusing short story wherein there's like multiple different realities sort of like sandwiched together. And it's like, it's so confusing to explain, but it's like part of an encyclopedia from a planet that doesn't exist about like a realm that doesn't exist for the purpose of bringing about that realm into our world because we want the mirror worlds to it's, okay it's, it's a it's I, that concept of the hyperstition the, yeah 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 about this alternate earth this alternate reality being gradually brought into physical reality by inserting these fake ideas and references to this place and the this society that doesn't exist yeah. Okay, Jacques. Right. All right, bud. Okay. Um, I see. Well, yeah, Jacques also and others have put forward the idea that the UMO letters maybe had some secret origin in like NATO or the, the Warsaw Pact no. meant to muddy the waters or recruit, you know, dupes and agents and like see who we could pull pull one over on. Uh, I it's feel like, like Jacques Vallée is telling us exactly what happened without telling us what happened. Like, maybe, but I also, like, I just, to the contrary, there's this quote from a writer, Peter Rogerson, who says, It may be comforting, flattering even, to imagine that the hoaxers who fooled you needed the huge resources of a government or international agency to pull the wool over your perceptive eyes. Like, Pete Rogerson's a fucking spook. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're all in on it. Yeah, I don't know. I... Like, it could be, but I, for some reason, I don't get that sense. But I also uh, don't know. Yeah. 
it's really one of these things where um, Pena has made himself such an unreliable narrator that you almost can't believe any fucking sure. thing that comes out of which is a characteristic that I mean that is a he fucking smells just like those other guys yeah you know just like Richard Doty right right uh, just like everyone in the fucking the story of the nine yeah like it is there's a particular flavor. And like the whole thing is just like, why? What did we accomplish here? Right. If like, it, if, what did we do? If it was Pena's, like what his story was, his stated motives, there's no fucking reason why he should go through so much effort to drive the story further. Right. Like if his whole thing was to prove that people would believe it. Now, I've, then of he, course. He could have, he did it and then he could have like case closed. Sure. I mean. Why did it go on for decades? And then why did he take no like credit? Like, look what I've done. Yeah. You know, the big story. Until he did. Until he did, but it was at... 20, in, uh, 30 years later. It was like when people asked him though, right? Right. He didn't make this big grand gesture of, aha, I've hoaxed you all. No, he didn't. Right. Which means that wasn't the fucking motive. Yeah. You know? Right. If there's a chance for it to have never been revealed, I mean, okay. Giving him the benefit of the doubt, he might have been, this has gone on like way too far off the rails. Like, you know what? I don't want the attention. He was like that. He, okay. he did say like, I regret this. Sure. And that it, it went too far. But it, like, it went really far. Yeah. 6,700 fucking people. It went really, really That's far. That's really far. And I have to imagine at a certain point, there might have been people composing letters from the Umite that were completely unrelated to Pena or anything. Just like copycats or people that wanted to involve themselves in on, yeah. on stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that could have been too. I don't know. But then like, if we're going to take anything he says at face face value he also says goddamn cia was in on it yeah right like he says that right you know and he did use materials from dupont from fucking dupont now of course you can just buy stuff from dupont chemical yep you can just buy that yeah so it's actually not that maybe i'm just feeling real paranoid today yeah maybe a little bit but i don't know it's it's curious what's curious is like uh Relating this to the Knight of Pentacles. Oh, the Knight of Pentacles is a sandstorm, right? It's um, information, which is air, right? Mm -hmm. The airy aspect of Earth, right? Yeah. So that's materiality, evidence, things that are very physical, mm -hmm. whipped up, spun around, yeah, tossed into a sandstorm, right? Mm -hmm. Confusing. You can't see in a sandstorm. Uh, it's also something that can get out of hand. Right. Um, it's also the the Knight of Pentacles. I always want to call it the Prince of Pentacles because I, Prince of Discs, because, mm -hmm. you know, I use the other deck. This is not a nice card. There See, are contradictory elements. In the Rider Waite deck, I feel like the Knight of Pentacles is a, a positive card. Uh, I mean, using the, like, the Golden Dawn interpretation, which, of course, Waite was using when he made his deck like these these are contradictory elements doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean anyone represented by the knight of pentacles is a bad person necessarily but there I is a lack of emotion there's a lack of to me it represents it's conflict it is conflicting elements yeah i see it as how a, a person should approach taking in information like this yes if you were to read the umo documents take the point of view of the knight of pentacles Take it slow and methodically and groundedly, even when the wind is whipping you around. Yeah, or like, don't like, let the Knight of Pentacles overwhelm you. 
Yeah. Because that's like the, that's kind of the feeling I get from the Knight of Pentacles is the sandstorm itself. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, and you want to not get battered and get sand in your fucking eyes. And yeah. You want to train you guard yourself. Yeah. You need to def- like not defend yourself, but protect yourself. I mean, I think at the end of the day, there's a lot like whatever story is true about the Umo affair. Um, yeah. There's a lot of bad actors. Right. Right. Like no matter what is story is true, even if like there were other people sending out these letters that just like got caught up in the fun of it. Like, yeah, that's, weird also what's up with people suiciding by seventh story windows it's weird it is that doesn't happen yeah that straight up no no one is gonna kill themselves by jumping off a floor on the seventh floor high enough right exactly you really want to die you're going higher yeah 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 which you know i'm suspicious of deaths from any building right (laughs) it's kind of you know by it's, the way, it was in vogue at the time. Yeah. I just want everyone to know that there is a group called the Daughters of Umo. Oh, God damn it. Who have, have put forth the idea that the Umites are coming back in 2033. So I just want everyone to start getting prepared. Fair enough. Because, you know, it's going to it's going to happen. Yeah. Like, Daughters of Umo. God damn it. Like, so a lot of people believed the whole Umo thing. Yeah. It's hard for me to accept that. Like, that didn't really hit me because they poop through their skin. Yeah. Yeah. But they did. A lot of people believed it. Right. Yeah. And they also just sent out the Umites. They sent out so much information and to select people that the people who heard about it were basically just being read the good parts of the letter at whatever meeting they were at. They didn't have the shit themselves to sift through and see all the ridiculous, nonsensical stuff that does, you know. Yeah. And like, I guess it doesn't make a difference because now a lot of people do. These documents are a lot of them are online. Not most of them are in Spanish, so there is a language barrier there. Sure. But the ones that are, like, people can go look at this, and there are people... Well, Google Translate works really yeah. well with Spanish. Yeah, except for, like, scans of PDFs of, like, mm-hmm. letters and stuff. Yeah, it doesn't work with that. Yeah. Like, people believe this now. Fuck me. <laughs> there's there's Umo holdouts. Still. Still. Guys, give it up. Yeah. And it, it's, well, it's just like that short story that I, a time for delusion. Yeah. You know? I mean, look. We're going to have holdouts. Obviously, this game doesn't work anymore because we can read about it. We can see the documents. The space people shit doesn't work anymore. Okay. We all know. We all know what game works now. Mm-hmm. It's more fun. Just get on board with the extra dimensional fucking angels, you know, cold. Yeah. Thing. Like, it's just more fun than space people. Yeah. Actually, I don't know if space people are kind of fun. They, I want the space people back. Yeah. They can both hang out. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But goddamn, man, it's. Mm. So what? whatever the true motivation of the Umu documents is, whether it's just a, a huge prank gone wrong or a <laughs> metafictional exercise or uh, maybe it's uh, being used to present political ideas or or maybe Maybe the Umo letters are are part of this this new front on the battlefield of espionage and intelligence where information is the very weapon that can be used to drive people to madness. Well. Whatever Umo <laughs> is, be careful looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Knight of Pentacles is definitely a disinformation agent. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's faking documents. It's the Knight of Pentacles. So that's faking evidence, shit like that. Definitely. Fucking A. Umo's weird. Umo's very weird. <laughs> Ooh, like, because it it shows the importance of hoaxes. The importance? Yeah. How so? Like, because they inform a lot of the mythology. Well, yeah, that's true. You know? I would say a great deal of the mythology. Uh, most of it. Yeah. Like, a lot of it has been driven by hoaxes. Yeah. And, like, despite despite it being hoaxed, like, there were a few people that did claim to have genuine, like, did genuinely claim to witness the February 6th right. and June 1st right, right. UMO UFOs. Right. What is that about? Did people really... Is it plausible that people saw something else weird that night? Right. But this was also going on. Right, right, right. Well, then that get I mean, that gets into that, like, that Sinister Forces shit where it's like... Or did this help create a portal through which... <laughs> right. Like, those things could be seen and experienced. Or whatever, like, you know, interdimensional goblins, like, fucking with us. They're just like, yo, they think a UFO... They're hoaxing this UFO site on this day. Like, what if we put a real UFO up in there? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is what I would do if I was a goblin. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> a lot to chew on. It is. And I tried to cut off so much meat, but there's still, there's still a lot to chew on. And I cut out so much of this story. It goes... There's so much more here for anyone that... Yeah, go read about to it. Take the Umite pill. Take the Umite pill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got a few left over if, if you... <laughs> Hell, yeah. Yeah, I'll take one. It's still early. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, th I think that'll about... That'll do... That'll do her? Da, 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 da. That'll do her. That'll umo do 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 her? umo do do umo umo do do. Hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, guys, please give us a rating and review. Yeah. If, if you like what if we If you do. like what we do. If you don't... You can forget that part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, then why did you listen so far? Yeah, honestly, for real. What? Uh, <laughs> but thank you guys so much for your support. Hope you enjoyed the umos. Hope you enjoy. Oh yeah, next week. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be fun. Stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, take care. Take care. We love. Be careful. You. Don't go crazy. Stay away from train tracks.